And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 39 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, August 10th, 2014. So did you know that August 10th is officially Lazy Day? That's right. Look it up. It's apparently an official holiday. But by the time you hear this, you either missed Lazy Day or didn't celebrate it, or you knew and you didn't celebrate it with us. Well, here at PNR, the entire staff and crew, and oh, don't you don't think you, we have a staff and crew, believe it, we're celebrating Lazy Day by working just a little harder for you. So won't you give us a little effort? Give us the traditional Lazy Day gift. It's a review of our little bundle of activity here. A Lazy Day review packaged up on iTunes is just the perfect gift for your friend Joe and Robert. Because really, the review, it's the Lazy Day gift that just keeps on giving. And we hope you'll consider yourself giving yourself a little bit of a Lazy Day gift and consider subscribing to our little show here via iTunes or Stitcher. And as always, stop by the blog post on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. Anyway, as always... It's time to welcome my colleague, my co-host, my good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome, really, the Rory McElroy of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? How's your golf game? You've got a big tournament tomorrow. We do. Actually, uh, I wanted to ask, Rory won, correct? He, like, just won. We're we're recording this at 9 Eastern on Sunday, and he just won, correct? I believe so. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I came right in from a bike ride, so I have not been able to keep up with the news i think he did um, win so yeah. but but the news on the golf so it's the reason why we're recording this on sunday is because monday is our eighth annual cmi golf for autism so great so, so fantastic i won't be doing any work tomorrow but we'll be working hard uh on the course uh hitting out of uh sand traps and out of the woods <laughs> and hopefully not losing too many balls at Illyria country club yeah it's really great it's a good I thing mean, i'm not playing or i would slow everything down there is just there is only one game that i truly am horrific at and it would be golf well we definitely have to go out golfing then so <laughs> that would be fun for me to go through that no it's great uh, i you know it's hard to believe robert this is the eighth annual we started this in 2007 and it's wonderful for those people that so don't fantastic. know why we do this the proceeds, so we've been able to raise well over $100,000 over that time, and the proceeds go to Easter Seals Northern Ohio specifically for families with children with autism that can't uh, afford speech therapy. Uh, and this has been very important in our lives. I, obviously, um, a lot of people know this, but our oldest, Joshua, was diagnosed on the spectrum at about two years old, and he didn't. He couldn't say hardly any words. He was over three years old. A lot of grunting for those people that are close to autism and know it. Um, couldn't speak. Didn't play well with others. He had to learn how to play. He had to learn how to speak. So it was aggressive speech therapy. So we were blessed. We had the finances, and we were able to get him the speech therapy he needed. But then as I learned more about it, there's a lot of families that just don't have the funds. So this is exactly what this tournament was created for, and then we can give back in that way. So I love the fact that there are a lot of families that are getting the speech therapy for their kids they need so their kids can live whatever lives that they want to live in the future. So Just so just, wonderful. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I wish I actually wish I could be there uh, just to go out and hack around the ball a little bit just because it's, it's, it also sounds like just a great deal of fun. It's a lot of fun. We tee off at 1 o'clock. Um, there's a little bit of alcohol on the course. Uh, <laughs> there's a well, lot of fun it, to mean, be had. You know, 
There's not a lot in. of professional golfers there. I mean, there's just a lot of leisure golfers. We do a raffle. We do a Chinese raffle. We do silent auction. We do the whole thing. And uh, what's really exciting this year is Petco has been – Petco and GIE Media are the two sponsors. They've been our sponsors for all eight years, big sponsors. And this year is the first year the CEO of Petco is actually going to play in our outing tomorrow, which oh, is fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't Jamie no Myers idea. is coming. I'm so, I'm so excited that he's able to make it. The whole Myers family have been really supportive of the cause for the past eight years. So super excited about seeing him. So that's what we'll be doing. And I know you'll be – you know, I think you're coming to Cleveland because you actually have a, you have a consulting gig while I'm on the, out in the links. You're going to be doing some work. So that is exactly right. Yeah, I have to work. I actually have to work and pay some bills for CMI here. So, uh, <laughs> so I will be in Cleveland for for one day uh, to, uh, tomorrow and and a, a little bit of Tuesday, and then I fly off to uh, Atlanta to go meet with the good folks at UPS and help them with their content marketing strategy. So it'll be a full week for me. There you go. Well, and the fact that you just did two and a half hours of biking and I just did two hours of basketball and we're both totally exhausted. We have no idea how this podcast is going to go. I think we should get into it. Thank God it was a slow news week. Um, but the first news item is comes from you, of all people. And I just had to include this as our top story um, because it was, in my humble opinion, just a fantastic blog post. It is the continuation of something we covered last week, of course, on the show, which was John Oliver's rant on native advertising um, and all of the thing. Um, the, your post title was Three Solutions, uh, to John Oliver's rant on native advertising, which I loved in the sense that you're trying to offer up something that wasn't. There was plenty of posts this week on other publications talking about why he's wrong or why he's right or all of that kind of thing. And you're like, you know, let's look at some answers here. So um, do you want to talk about your post before? I, I mean, I definitely have a take on well, some of the stuff and especially some of the conversation. But did you want to tee it up at all? I'm excited to get your take. But I want to give a little bit of backstory about why I wrote it, because I wasn't this is late Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, and the editor, one of the content editors over LinkedIn said, Joe, John Oliver's native advertising thing is all over. Would you write something? And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what it was. It's like 9 or 10 at night. I'm exhausted. So I go to bed, and I wake up. First thing, I, it's like 5 in the morning, and I can't get to sleep. And all I'm thinking about is I should write this thing on John Oliver's rant. So I get up, <laughs> and I spent the next three hours researching, like, who's talking what, who's saying what. And as I talk about in the Post, you know, it was in the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Washington Post. Everybody's <clears throat> talking about it, but nobody has anything intelligent to say. Like really, there's nothing. <laughs> right. con there's nothing constructive. Right. They're just saying, "Ha ha ha!" Uh, John Oliver's picking apart native advertising. Right? And they, Doesn't you know, it suck to be a publisher right now? Yeah, and it's just right. like, well, come on, let's let's add something to it. So that's kind of where I went into you know going through the whole that that native advertising actually does have a problem. There is an issue here. It's been an issue for a long time, but let's figure out a solution to this. And I'd really love to get your take on the three solutions but before that do you do you have a, a take on any of this before we get into some of those solutions uh well you know i mean i'm so glad you wrote the post i mean i've got absolutely a take on each one of uh 
each one of the three sort of solutions that you that you offer up, I've absolutely got to take on for sure. And then I also have I have some comments as you. Well, might the expect. comments are funny because I have two in particular that I'd let, like to go through because I have to because of course what I love about publishing on LinkedIn is you get people that just call you the biggest jerk on the planet. Like, what are you? And I actually, at first when I started to publish the you know blog and you put it all out there in 2007 when I started, I was really like sensitive about it. Now I actually like. Right. I mean, I really like to get that feedback. <laughs> so let's yeah, let's let's bit. go through each one and and let's have some fun. I think it's a super important topic. I don't think a lot of enough people are talking about what needs to happen with native, and I think that now's the time. So let's talk sure. about it. Well, and remember, so and not only I mean I know you know this, but just for for those of you out there, I mean I come at this not from the publisher lens. I come at this from the marketing practitioner lens, and so so um, you know when I when I look at what you offered up as a solution, you're really offering this up from a publisher perspective. Um, and so, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's, a, uh, a, you know, an, an irrelevant thing. But, but regardless, to your first one, fixing the editorial process, absolutely right. Um, to me, that's the really, o- that's only, it, it is the only problem at the moment, right? I mean, I look at it this way, right? If, if, if the content is good enough, to be in the publication without it being paid for, then by definition, it's not really an ad and thus would just be a sponsored article or a, an advertiser-sponsored piece that would be, you know, that is classically the way that publications have, have made money. And so if you can fix really the editorial process and have the quality of content go up accordingly to at least, I mean, to, to match at least the name of what we're trying to do here, native advertising, and the idea is it's supposed to be seamlessly integrated so good that you don't even know that it's a, a piece of advertising, which is the real problem right now. You actually can read the content. And go, yeah, this is an ad, right? So if... If it's not good enough to pass that sniff test, then it shouldn't be in the magazine to begin with, much less be a paid for. I mean, that for me is a, from a marketing perspective. That's why I, I always say, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, that it's about being better than. I actually want the content to be as good or better than what's in there because I want it to if you're stand a, out. Yeah, if you're a brand, you're saying if you're a brand, if you I'm want a brand, the content yeah, to be better absolutely. because, well, the point that I, well, before I go into the three solutions, I'm, you know, I go through this whole thing about, you know, this is just a small portion of native advertising. There's a big, huge definition of what native is. Really what we're talking about with native is, um, you know, paying for what looks like editorial on media sites is really right. what we're talking about. And then, I, I mean, I bolded this because I think it's critical. Publishers are using native to survive and grow because they never had these opportunities online in the past until they said, look, this is a huge opportunity. We have to do this. We have to make these ads look more like ed- editorial because advertisers will pay for it. And it's been proven that they are. Brands right. are using native to steal audience from the publisher. And you've said this all along. And that's the two sides. That's, I think it, do, you, do you agree that it's really that simple? That's the way that I look at it. Well, that's why I, when I saw the first one, I was like, yeah, that's kind of the only problem that, that, that exists at the moment, you know, because if that were the case, in other words, this would not be an issue if, if, if the content was that good, because quite frankly, nobody would know. And, and that, you know, so if, if we, if you can elevate the content to the, to the, to the point where it's as good as what's in the publication that it's being embedded into, which is basically the promise of native advertising to begin with, well, then, it's, then, then there is no problem. 
because then it doesn't matter how it's labeled or whatever. It's just content that would normally be in the magazine or the online publication anyway. And in this case, it just happens to look like it's sponsored by somebody instead of an ad running right next to it in the right rail or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because it's such a sensitive issue, and we, we can go through some of the comments. I don't know if I would put it just like that. I think the way you, you need to look at it is is that it passes – it may not be something that the editorial team would produce themselves, but it, it passes all the editorial guidelines – that the publication has. And that's, well, that's what I, I really mean. Yeah, I, that's that, what I, I think mean. that that's so what we're, I mean. yeah, we're saying the yeah. same thing. I think that then the quote that I pulled out from John Oliver is that ads are baked into content like chocolate chips into a cookie, except it's actually more like raisins into a cookie because no one right. wants, you know, what no right. what blippity blip wants them right. there. Right. And I think that's the that's kind of what what you're getting is is that if the problem is right now NATO advertising content is almost always substandard, and it is making a mockery of the publishing brands out there. And that's why it's a problem for publishers. You're saying, you know, use and abuse that brand all you want. doesn't matter. Steal the audience that you can. It would be, it'd work a lot better if the con- content is better because it will work better for the brand. Well, that's exactly right. I mean that, and that's exactly. I mean, that, and that gets to your third point, where you talk about the rent-to-own strategy, right? As a marketer, and I've said this before as well, I don't care about the publisher, right? I don't care about, you know, I am using, and this this is true for traditional advertising or not, you know, say what you will. The the way that traditional advertising, the you know, part of the reason that I buy an ad in the Wall Street Journal, or the part of the reason I buy an ad in the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times or, you know, whatever magazine I'm putting an ad into is because the brand that it, you know, that, of that brand. It, it theoretically elevates my brand to some, <clears throat> to some level and attracts an audience that reads that brand. But as soon as that, as soon as I'm, you know, as soon as I'm done with that brand, I'm done with that brand. And so if it starts to break, you're not going to see a lot of marketers crying about it. Other than those that might be, you yeah. know, that might have some care about the publishing model to begin with, right? But, but uh, you know, you're not going to see marketers cry if, if you know, if the brand of the Wall Street Journal starts to degrade because of bad content. But what? Ha- but at the same time, if I'm if I'm a marketer, what I'm there to do is steal audience. You know, you 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 use the CMO.com example extraordinarily well there. What I'm trying to do is take the audience that is engaged with this particular publication and use this content, as great as it may be, to pull that audience to my owned media property where I'm going to aggregate and build upon them and deliver them content that engages them, etc. You know, we used the drink your milkshake metaphor before, but that's exactly what it is. Well, that's my favorite. Like, if I was... If I'm looking at native advertising and I'm looking and I'm a publisher and I'm looking at hey I say I don't want to do native advertising cuz I'm concerned that it's going to hurt the brand I would be telling my uh advertisers I would be saying look do what CMO is doing we, it's okay like go ahead and promote your content but let's get them off, let's get them off our site and let's get them onto your site I mean, I, don't, I right. think that that's fine. It's just like them an ad, except you're saying, no, let's give them really good, relevant content. We can help you with that, but let's get it off our site. Let's get it onto your site. You can do whatever you want to, and that's the CMO.com example, and I think that's really well, uh, really done really well. So the, the three, I'll just throw the three solutions out so everybody can read it, but you're right. I think brands should really fo- focus on these de- rent-to-own strategies where they're buying advertising that pushes that person to content owned own content sites 
The second one is, I think, and this is, I won't spend a lot of time on this because it depends on who's listening to this, but I think the media <laughs> business model is broken <clears throat> because every media business model out there is still, even today, focused on advertising. And I don't get it. There are nine different ways. Mark Anderson d- did a great post, for, depending on what you think about Mark Anderson. He still wrote a great post and said there's nine different ways to monetize content. Advertising, subscriptions, premium content, events, blah, 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 and all the way down to product sales. Why is it that we create a content site and we think that the only way to monetize that is through advertising? 90% of the sites out there are advertising-driven, and I don't get That's that. Right. So I think that would the reason why we're all running to native advertising is because, oh, we're an advertising model and people are buying native advertising, so let's sell that. So then the, the, the last one, and this is where I wanted to get your comment on some of these comments uh, that were in LinkedIn <laughs> – um, I think the editorial process needs to change. I think that when native advertising uh, products are sold and content runs through, I think there needs to be an editor that's actually on the editorial team that has to, to run this stuff by uh, the editorial guidelines like we talked about before. And you can't just run anything because this is not an ad that is going to just reflect on that other brand who's buying it. This is something that affects your own brand because it's content right. on your site. Uh, so, and then the other thing is brands just need to stop submitting really bad content. I think you need yes. to take it seriously. But you know, to your point, you've said this many times, it's not their – it is their brand, but they're, they're, it's almost like they're – I don't know how – I was going to say something that's not really nice. You're like, <laughs> you're like taking a crap on, in somebody else's right. toilet. I mean, really, is that what you're doing? It's like I can leave. I don't have to come back. It doesn't have to smell nice. Exactly it doesn't right. matter. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry to everybody else. That's a lovely metaphor. Everybody that listens to this knows I, I don't cuss. I don't do any of this stuff. But that's the best analogy I can come up with, especially Well, that's exactly night. right. That's yes. the best and I got. And so really what you're hoping for is a brand is to go in and poop roses. <laughs> if you can do that, then, then you've actually oh. accomplished something. So you know, the- Go Some ahead. of the discussion that was in the, you know, and, and, and God bless you, you got a lot of comments there. Um, you know, a lot of it seemed to revolve around the issue of this whole idea of credibility of the editorial and the, and the you know, are editors biased and have they been bought? And quite frankly, you know, that, that discussion is sort of boring to me because neither of that matters. You know, credibility, trust, journalistic ethics, those are not binary values. They're not on or off. Their judgments, you know, their value judgments made by those who view the expression of it, right? So is Fox News credible? Well, despite the politics, you'll, you'll still get multiple opinions on that, you know, you know, on both sides. You know, some will say Fox is the only credible news source. Some might say it's the worst of the worst. So if you're saying editors, and this is what one of the comments said, literally, quote, editors need to stay independent or they're not credible. Well, independent of what? Money? Influence? Their commute in from the suburbs, their bad marriage. I mean, all of it's going to influence their credibility and decisions they make on any given day. So there, there's no such thing as true independence. We're humans. We have a point of view on things, and we're by our literally the inclusion or exclusion of a particular story, we're making some sort of editorial point of view on it. And so th- this has existed since time immemorial for, edi- you know, for, for what publishing is all about. And so it's a spectrum, right? So what I expect to see on Wired Magazine is very different from what I expect to see on the New York Times um, or on the Wall Street Journal or in Business Week or in Fast Company or Maxim or, you know, I mean, and on and on and on. That's the real difference here. And so 
I, the, that, I think it's a misplaced argument to, to talk about, you know, the whole, you know, journalistic ethic of credibility that, you know, this is undermining the, the journalism ethic. I just, I just, I just disagree. Well, it's a, the, the comment that was most interesting to me and, and this guy tweeted out at me, I haven't responded it. I just haven't gotten to it. I've uh, been a little bit busy, but uh, Florian was the one that was really bringing up the fact that, Oh, right, that's going, the quote. Yeah, that's you're, the guy that I quoted. Yeah, yeah you're you're gonna quoted. you're gonna have the editorial team now approve advertising. He says that's the stupidest idea that's ever been thought of. And my take is, okay, that's fine. And and what it, what I thought of immediately when I read that was the way Time Inc. is setting up their native advertising division because all basically what they're doing is is that they're combining sales and editorial. And sales is driving everything in that organization now, which means that that comes first. And right. by the way, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it is. So the fact is, is that if there's any judgment decisions to be made, that's going to side on money versus what good content, what good user experiences, whatever. And this all comes back to, and this is why we're, you know, this is this old marketing. Why are we talking about all this? Because brands now have the advantage because brands don't have to worry about any of this stuff. They can just go out and create the best content on the planet because they just have products and services to sell. They don't have to sell other people's stuff on there. They don't have to worry about that. They can actually take a higher road. And some journalists and, and publishers might think that that's the worst thing in the world that somebody could say. But that's the opportunity, which is why I feel in the long run, most of the, I'm not going to say news, but most of the content that consumers will engage with in the next five to ten years will be coming from the brand, the non-media brand side and not the media side because of the fact that there's no way that media brands can stay competitive. They just don't have the resources and they don't have issues like this to deal with. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's I mean, and well said, right? I mean, that I mean, it, it is, you know, the the string has just gotten shorter, right? Back to the money is all it is. And and so if you're going to have anybody sort of pull on it, I, you know, if I'm a publisher, and I'm certainly not, but if I was a publisher, I definitely want my editorial team pulling that string rather than sort of the ad sales guys. Oh, it's funny just actually reading through these comments. You know, if you, if you, just to everybody out there, if you really want to feel like an idiot, go ahead and start a blog. Like, really, seriously, just create your own content, write a book like we have, put a podcast out. You'll get all kinds of negative reviews and people telling you you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff too, but it's just funny that, especially at LinkedIn is the place actually more than anything else that I see most of the negative. I got to do that. I got to do that more. I got to do, I got to do that more. I'm committed to once a month. You just have to, I mean, yeah, you should, man. I know. It's just same thing. It's content marketing, right? Just consistency over one channel. I know. Figure out what your goals are. Do I have to go through this for you? Do I have to (laughs) recite back the workshop that you teach that you'll be teaching this week probably three times? Here's what you do. Yes, I know. (laughs) Shall we move on to the next story? Let's move on. That was enough about my stuff. Let's let's talk about somebody else. Well, the next story comes to us from thenextweb.com. And it's interesting to me because it deals with startup companies. Um, And the headline is that the top venture capital firms are starting to use storytelling to connect to entrepreneurs. Um, and I thought this was really interesting. I mean, the article opens up 
by talking about something that just, I have to tell you, floored me. I mean, I had not seen this stat before, but it was just really interesting to me. Um, this is according to research from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, venture capitalists have committed $29 billion across almost 4,000 deals in 2013. So in, you know, literally the last oh year or so. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Which is the highest since 2001, highest since the dot-com boom, which, I mean, scares the heck out of me, to be honest with you. But, but then... They, then they shift gears and they start talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of new startups for the obvious reason now and that these venture capital firms are starting to compete a little bit for trying to get some of these startup firms in, in you know, in their portfolio and how a lot of them are starting to develop the skill of storytelling and really connecting entrepreneurs to other entrepreneurs and using that and hiring people. Jay Akunzo from HubSpot being one who went over to, to one of them um, and really – talking about how this is the new way that these new startups are both getting into VCs as well as emerging with these content marketing strategies. Now, I will say, how they missed OpenView Ventures in this entire article, I... It was well, hard you know, hard to believe because Scott Maxwell me, and his team have been doing that since 2008. They've been doing that, oh, yeah. I mean, they've yeah. been doing it forever. So how they missed them, I have no idea, especially since they interviewed some people from Boston. But, um, but I don't know. What did you think about this article? You know, it's interesting. So Jay, who's who is of course you said he was running content at HubSpot and now he's yeah. running uh this thing at Next Few Ventures doing a great job. Jay's speaking at Content Marketing World actually yeah, on some of this stuff, which is great. This is what I love about it. That my first take is and this is for everyone out there, I really believe that if you do not have a product, if you actually have a service that content marketing is ten to twenty times more critical to you than if somebody can actually touch, feel, use your product. If you have a service so true. It is completely different. And what I love about what Jay's talking about, so so Jay, the reason why Jay's going to be successful what he's doing at Next Few Ventures is because he's focusing on a very specific thing that people looking for money are going through. He's just yep. focusing on those people in their first 18 to 24 months, and he's trying to figure out all, uh, solutions to all those challenges. Isn't Doesn't Darmesh also do, he's the CTO of HubSpot, doesn't he also do a startup blog or didn't he start a startup on, blog I think or it's on like that? startups or something yeah I think you're right yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. yep you're, you're exactly right so I think I mean the whole take is yeah we're talking about venture capital but you could be talking about consulting uh, you could be talking about anything that you don't have any kind of service industry that's where it's much much more critical so when they're saying yeah it's, it's important for the VC environment it's important for any service company <laughs> right, right of course to really right. focus on this so hence the reason that we're a little busy these days <laughs> <laughs> But it's just amazing. I mean, he goes and talks about he did one on that board deck templates, which is an amazing yeah. idea. And so they got more yeah. traffic on that than they've gotten the last 60 days. And I, I wonder how they're, how Jay is really looking at and measuring that over time. And I'm sure I'm going to talk to him in a, in a month or so about that. But did you have another take yeah, on this? Yeah, I'll be really interested to see. I did not. No, I, I, I love that. And I love the examples that they showed. Um Mostly because I've been through that process, right? I mean, I was I was CMO of a startup company and went through two rounds of funding through Silicon Valley, and this wasn't there when I was going through this stuff. This kind of you know this this kind of environment, um, you know, this is early two thousand four two thousand two um, when I was going through this process, and it just didn't it just didn't exist. And you know, I, I think it it it. You know, reading through some of those examples, I, I think it would have really helped us, you know, as a young team trying to figure out what we're doing. 
you know, ultimately, I ended up, much to the consternation of my board and my management team, sort of launched this, which is how you and I met, you know, creating mm-hmm. a content marketing organization without even realizing it, you know, just because I was trying to build the company into a, as big a media brand as I can, just because I was trying to bolster the reputation and thought leadership position of the company because we were competing with, you know, we were this little tiny startup competing with IBM and Microsoft and Oracle and all these giant, huge companies. And so I was using content as a way to sort of make us look a lot bigger than we were. And it worked. And so, but I, you know, I fumbled around at that. And I just think it's, I think it's fantastic that these venture capital companies are starting to really develop this as a skill in-house. It's just, it's just a wonderful service. You know, anybody who's out there thinking about starting a company, the money that you get from a venture capital firm is probably the least valuable thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the really valuable thing you get from a great VC is the Rolodex, the networking, the expertise, the mentorship, and what they do, you know, how they help you grow as a team. And that's, that's, there's just nothing more. Yeah. Uh, well, more I'll, leave with, I'll leave with two things. First off, for anybody thinking about starting a company, if you can ever do it, never take somebody else's money. And that's <laughs> that's just my personal take. If you, by the way, you lots of lots of wonderful VCs and angel investors out there, but if you don't have to take their money, don't run because you'll. <laughs> that's a whole different podcast, so we won't go into yes, that. Yes, it is. But <laughs> but Jay has a really good quote here, and I'll leave with this. It says, "This isn't rocket science. This is the willingness to stay in your focus area and not chase exactly. what feels sexy. Aim to yep. be more helpful than the other guy, not more brilliant." And you'll actually achieve both. Just brilliant exactly. stuff by Jay. I'm so it's happy just he's speaking uh, in a couple weeks. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, stuff. moving on um, to a, a less uh, helpful uh, story and, and sort of the opposite <laughs> of startup. Um, Demand Media, uh, who's been around for quite a while and uh, and and really in the sort of content factory business, as as uh, as was known. Released their second quarter results and wah, 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 not as great. This article comes to us from bidnessetcetera.com. I've never heard of this site before, but. You, you probably, um, you probably shouldn't have said that. Is that really the name of the site? Bidness? It is. Bidness. Like you I'm, not, my business, I'm not even bidness? making that up. It's B-I-D-N-E-S-S-E-T-C. <laughs> Bidness, etc., and the podcast uh, falls to an all-time low. I am not we... <laughs> even making that up a little bit, right? I don't, you know. Hey, look, you know they got uh, they, they got did. It is actually it on. is actually a good story. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just think the name of the site is funny. Go on. I'm, my well, it's, it's well the story is it has really little to do with the site. I mean, they're just basically talking about how demand media. Um, basically, and they're reporting their their earnings for for second quarter of 2014, which basically unchanged from first quarter, but still representing an al- another 11% drop in revenue from last year. Um, and spe- so revenue just continues to go down at demand media. And specifically, the decline was in sales for content and media revenue. And so, you know, what say you, Mr. Polizzi? Is this, is this just the – basically the, the quantity over quality thing is, is finally, finally representing itself in the sort of – the, these content factories sort of losing the losing the business. Well, it, first of all, it seems to me that demand media is searching for a model, they, then they they can't yeah. find one. So from what I in reading this, it sounds like demand, there were two parts of demand media. One is the demand media that we know is right. the content media business, and the right. second part of it was there. It's actually a registry business. They registered domains, mm-hmm. and that part That's of the right. business actually seems like it's growing fairly well. And but they're spinning off that into another company. So what's left? 
is the group that's actually been doing very poorly. Um, there's a couple of issues. First of all, Lips, Livestrong used to be a very big site for them, and I and I gotta think that Armstrong's situation is not helping that site. I would assume. Oh, you mean Lance? You mean Lance? Yeah. Lance, Lance, yeah. Lance yeah. Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would. Yeah. I gotta assume that, that the whole Livestrong thing is, is, a, <laughs> you is think not a little is not yeah. working. So that's going down. But but I think here's this is my theory, and I wanted to get your take on this, Robert. Here's what I think. I think that most of their sites, like eHow is, I think, their biggest site or one of their right. biggest sites. And by the That's way, right. here's another thing. It's all advertising generated. And so they're, this whole thing about they're, trying, they're going from CPM to programmatic advertising, which generates less revenue. And I don't know the whole thing. But here's my take. They, most of their sites that they have is all on how-to stuff. Right. It's all on like how do you do this? How do you do that? Five well, it's that giant business this. model that erupted for about twenty minutes in like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Right? right. I mean, and it worked really well because companies. It, yeah, and it worked really well for search engine as people type things. Right. Great. They came yeah. up and they just went crazy. But here's my take, and I think this is with every brand site, and I think we've seen this. We we know the stories. I mean, you look at Utility and Jay Bear, which is fantastic. But I always have contended that at some point you get to a point where you have to go beyond the how-to and you actually have to give some insight. You right. Real, and, and, I, and I don't think any of their sites do. And I think that it's just all, how do I do this? How do I do that? And you get in, people in and out, and you're, they're not building an ongoing relationship with anybody. So it's very, very hard because they're just surviving on when people have a need for that one particular moment and they solve that need and then they're done. Right. That is a well, horrible it's a, and, and way. it's also and it's also a ton of content for you know as I mean I saw this this is I'm stealing this directly from Reddit um, from a from a comment I saw which is you know th- these sites basically feature problems that you know they're solutions to problems that people don't have um, you know so it's like you know the, how to break an egg you know I mean is there really anybody who needs to learn how to break an egg that just can't go learn that on their own and you know so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of content, and it was all built around the search engine stuff, which, you know, when the farm animal menagerie that Google sort of put forth over the last five or six years has just really killed that entire business. I I think that that is just, yeah, so you're right. It, it made them a really good buck for a while, but now they're trying to evolve into, I mean, what they want to do is what everybody else is trying to do, create loyal subscribers. I don't and know the, why they didn't. This was, I mean, I actually had a discussion with a demand media guy at a conference once, and I said, you've got all these amazing properties, and I'm not sure why you don't, you know, they are the, they are, let, think of them as the sort of the the subclass neighborhoods of a city. I don't know why you don't go in there and fix those places up and flip them to brands, right? Because, you know, we've talked on this show a number of times about how brands should buy an existing media property with an existing audience and existing traffic and really make it into their owned media property. I think they could take some of those things, really polish them up, make them nice, not just just these, you know, directory sort of very bare search engine friendly sort of things, but really polish them up and make them not, and really build them into something valuable and sell them off and flip them, you know, flip them like you like you would a house. I, I it's and the an, guy was it's like, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah. I mean, I could really see. Okay, who would you sell eHow to? Well, shoot, who would do Home Depot, Lowe's? Exactly right. I mean, they exactly would take right. those. I'm assuming. I mean, you and I both have been in the same room where we've had conversations with big brands that were looking for. Well, looking how can for I this. go? Yeah, looking for this. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Yeah, maybe maybe you have a model for them. I'm I really I mean we've covered. Well, it's the not a media. very it's not a it's not a it's not a <laughs> sadly it's a it's a uh, you know I mean it's ultimately a business that I think could could be extended, but it's not you know it's not one of the it's not coin operated right. I mean it is you know because once you run out of inventory, you've got to basically start anew and start creating all these sites and. You know, I, I mean, I know some very small companies who are doing this. They're building these amazingly beautiful sites, and then they're 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 selling them, right? So there there's a business to be had there. I'm not sure it's a public company size business, but it, there's a business. Well, I think the whole the whole takeaway that I would give to anybody listening to this is, yes, absolutely, you can solve your customers' problems with the questions, answer their questions ongoing. But at some point, I think your customers are probably going to evolve to a level where you've got to take them somewhere else. I think and I right. and I really think that this is a failure of this model to to modify to what Google did to them, and they're still looking for a home. So yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to our last story uh, of our show. Uh, this was a really interesting one that came up uh, in Ad Week this week, and it's about Budweiser. So last week we talked about this wonderful World Cup thing that. I think it was Adidas was doing, and yep. it was a really interesting approach to content and the effort. And we talked, and we just, you know, both Joe and I raved about it. And this week we have Budweiser creating Party Town is the name of the article. Uh, content marketing on steroids is the headline, and this again comes from Ad Week, and it basically talks through how Anheuser Busch, and this is there the owner, of course, of the Budweiser brand. Um, they went to the Con Festival, they won their Con Line or whatever. And they created this new campaign called, quote, Up for Whatever. And you've probably seen one of the videos, one of the TV commercials, basically where the guy is going to, you know, is he up for this thing? And they take him to some weird, crazy, you know, evening on the town and that sort of thing. So they've now created up what they're calling this mysterious town called Whatever USA. And they're inviting millennials through this whole summer-long TV social in-bar campaign. You can now audition for a chance to be invited in September for a weekend of, as they say, all-out branded partying. And the Bud Light brand director, David Daniels, who I guess is one of the architects of this, says in the, in the article, this is content marketing on steroids. I say it's a clever ad campaign on Viagra. What say you, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, it's not content marketing um, because it still seems like a campaign, correct? I mean, it still yes, seems very like a clever one and very creative and I guess semi-interesting. But so yeah, let me I, understand this campaign nonetheless. I mean, I, I clicked on some of the audition things and they're whatever. They're 11, cute. They're well yeah, done. they're really cute. Like, what would you want to do if you could do anything you wanted to? And they're asking them, you know, what would you do right now if you had no responsibilities? And I like, grab my Bud Light and go to Cancun or whatever they're right. doing, which is fine. But what happens do these people then go to whatever USA and then what happens there? Is it a is it a show is it a television show is it what, what i think co- it's going to be a show i my I, if i had to guess i would say what they're probably going to do is is put all these people together and there's probably going to be some level of competition i mean who knows what it's going to be right it's not going to be done until september but if i had to guess it's going to be putting these people into similar types of situations that that one guy found him in when you know he, when he got he got to play ping pong with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, go around and see an emu coming out of the elevator and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's going to be weird, interesting, clever campaign oriented advertising done through a multiple channels. And I think it's really interesting. And I think it's an ad campaign. Well, here's where I think there could be an, 
I, well, here's what I'd love to see. You're right. You're absolutely right. There's an ad campaign. I think it's it's clever advertising. Uh, it might work. It might not. I don't, I don't really know. But here's what I think it could be. What if you created this? What if you you made the investment ongoing and said, we're going to do this long term. We're not just going to do it for the next year. And we're going to create whatever town USA's all over the planet. And we're going to like almost like Legoland's is what I'm thinking of, or Planet Hollywood, or the type of thing where I'm we're going to create experiences around Bud Light that maybe maybe you go there and you can do whatever you want to. I mean, maybe they're they're roller coasters. I don't know what's there, but why can't that be it? Where you're creating experiences all over, and you're actually saying, hey, it's not just hey one time and sign up now, and then you get to do it, and we're going to make an ad, and we're gonna we're gonna shoot three months of stuff, and it'll be really cool, and then we're done. Why don't you just commit to it and say, look, our job is to create, we want this, we love this feeling. We want millennials to have this feeling and they can get all kinds of stuff and do all kinds of special things and they can come to whatever USA and and have that could be, that could happen. Almost like a Disneyland for adults. Why can't we do that? I I love that. I love that idea. I mean, I, I, you know, I actually, you know, from a creative perspective, I hate the idea of the millennials and the whatever sort of tie together. I'm, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not the creative director for this campaign, and and trust me, nobody at Anheuser Busch wants me as their creative director on this campaign. But I don't love the creative here because I think it sort of dumbs down millennials, and I think it's just sort of, you know, I I don't I don't love the point of view here that the well, there's the campaign a, to takes, your point. There's a but quote to your the, point, yeah. There's, to your no, point, there's your a quote point, in the article. It could be fun. There's a quote in the article right here to your point that says they're really they're target. They say they're targeting millennials, but they're really targeting teenagers. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, let's be honest here, right? They're they're targeting teenagers that want to basically go to some reality show and and do you know it's the Big Brother crowd, right? You know, people who you know who who want to be on Big Brother would want to be on this thing because it's a chance for them. Basically, it's for those who went who saw the commercial of the whatever guy who went and had all this amazing experience. It's basically a, a way to invite people to audition to be that guy. And, and, and so to me, it's like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 it's, they're just spending, they're spending so much money on this, Robert. I mean, you might. Well, it's beer. I mean, they do. I mean, this is what they do, right? I know, but, but, but why does it have to be a fleeting campaign? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't it be something cool? They didn't ask us, Joe. They didn't ask us. If they had asked us, then, uh, then it, then it would have been a different story. God, man, I, there's such an opportunity. They probably already spent 150, 200 million dollars on this thing. Oh, easily. They could have easily. They, they could have put up the greatest adult amusement park on the planet, and people would flock to it like it's a new Vegas. I mean, uh, they could yeah, put or, it. You know what they could do? They could put it in Vegas. Actually, they could put it in next to casinos. They could put it. Well, I don't know what they're trying to do, but. I mean, let's think of beyond the campaign a little bit anyways. Whatever. Exactly. Good well, let's them. think about the experience, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, all right. Speaking of a wonderful, wonderful brand, we have a new a new sponsor this week. We do. It's And by the way, uh, thanks to Emma. We had a great run. They'll be back. Um, but we, we have some other commitments. And so excited uh, to welcome Smartling uh, to the welcome. program. Welcome, ding ding. Do we have a bell? Do we have like cowbell or something? We could insert. We or should something. more See, cowbell. We should have more cowbell. I wish more I had cow- <laughs> Let's yeah. get more cowbell. 
Okay. So we love the folks at SmartLink now. And actually, I, we've been working with SmartLink for a while. They'll obviously be a content marketing world. We're doing a lot of cool stuff with them. They have a fantastic white paper. And this is a different kind of white paper, folks. This is not some of the stuff we've been talking about before. This is some serious stuff. So if you're an enterprise company and you're trying to figure this thing out, um, and you have a, let's say you're, you you want to have a website. It's a multilingual website. You're trying to target uh, people from different nationalities. This is your gateway into the global marketplace. So simply yeah, having yeah. content in the native languages of your consumers can accelerate the sales process and allow your business to effectively compete with in-country competitors. But we can, we know this: being truly multilingual isn't just about translated content, which is what most people nope. do. It's also about providing visitors with an authentic and transparent user experience. And SmartLing has put together this wonderful white paper on best practices. It's called Creating an Optimal UX for Global Website Visitors. Uh, super, oh, I super, can't wait to read that. I mean, oh, this wow, is... that's fantastic. This is... Um, this is up a notch. Like, you know, if you're just a beginner and you're trying to get your website up and running, this is not for you. But if you are an enterprise marketer and you work, you have, um, you know, your global company, this is something you want to download right oh, away can, and yeah. check out. You have to. Uh, we've got a short link for you. You can go to bit.ly.com slash PNR dash global. That's all lowercase. Bit.ly.com slash PNR dash global. It's called Creating an Optimal User Experience. For global website visitors, you're going to have to download it right away. And a special thanks to our good new friends at SmartLink. Ding, ding, ding. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, I oh, bet. Ding, ding, ding is right. I'm going to go check that out. I mean, I can tell you every single company that is global that we deal with is, is this is a hot issue. It's a huge yeah. issue. You're right. And they're, they're really well positioned for this. So the white paper is definitely going to help. You got Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. It is time for the show. Our favorite part of the show, our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is really bugging us. Or if something we want to show a little love toward, um, I'm going to go first since I have this old marketing this week. And I have a short, very short rant. Um, I, as you probably know, Joe, I'm a football fan. <gasps> if I, I know. It's no. Shocking. It's yes, no. I am a football fan. I am indeed a football fan. And I have been so excited for the new NFL season. And just really, I've been watching all the games. And I happen to watch uh, the Ravens versus 49ers preseason game. Okay. Um, and basically, there was a really interesting thing that happened in the middle of it. Um, it's been covered by a couple of, 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 of publications of links we'll put in the show notes, of course. But basically, they had this advertisement from Toyota. So you might, if you've seen an ad or if you've seen an NFL game, you've seen that they sometimes superimpose like the line of scrimmage or they'll superimpose some numbers or they'll superimpose, you know, some things that look like they're on the field. But they're actually superimposed for the television. Well, what they're doing is they're superimposing advertisements now on the field. And they have one for Toyota in this case. And the Toyota ad was basically the giant Toyota logo. looked like it would have been painted on the field. And all the players are sort of running around. And it's extraordinarily distracting. I mean, like, hugely distracting from this. And it was just horrible. It was just this horrible, distracting ad that was going to appear on the screen basically any time. And in this case, it was basically Toyota was sponsoring them in the red zone. So basically every time San Francisco got to the 20-yard line at their new stadium, you would see this giant thing appear on the field, which is superimposed on. So uh, it was just annoying. I can't imagine the NFL would sit pretty with this for a long time, but... 
you know, so let me just say, as the kids would say, as we were talking about earlier, if there's a hashtag here, as the millennials might say, it's, you know, hashtag icky, okay? Because this is really, really bad. So then I go off and I do a little more research and I see a news story where the headline is, okay, Toyota says, we're football fans too, and we hear you and we're going to stop. And not to parse words or anything, but here's what the, po- the spokesperson from Toyota says, and this comes from ABC News, and this is where I quote, we're football fans too. We hear their fan feedback. It's not our intention to distract from the joy of the game. We're working to ensure that future brand mentions won't distract from the gameplay. And then here's the important part, she says at the end. During the remainder of 49ers preseason games, fans and viewers should no longer see the Toyota Red Zone once the ball has been snapped. Those five words are key, my friends, which means we could see it all the way up until the point where the ball is actually in the play is already started. Which is the majority of the time, actually. Oh, my God. Just don't even get me started. So let me just reiterate, for all you tweeting out there, there's the hashtag, icky, icky marketing. Okay. Please call me, Toyota. I have so many more uses. So Budweiser needs to call us because we've got a, a, a number of suggestions that we can use for their all their dollars that they're that they're wasting. And by the way, Toyota can call me because I've got so many more uses for that for that. And that is my rant this week. I don't know why they just don't call. I mean, we we were waiting. We have phones. It's just not happening. Uh, (laughs) That's so. I'm looking at the pictures, Robert. You're right. The I haven't. I didn't see the game, but the obviously it's so ugly. It is just so ugly. But I did just get used. I did just get used to the Heinz Red Zone because it seems more subtle than this. Is it? Uh, I don't know. It's like, no. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, it's bad. It's now good. it's only on the local. The interesting thing is because it's preseason, you only get it on the local sort of coverage. So they, it was a local buy for whatever that's worth. But you know what I want is I don't want there to be any sniff of like this might be a good idea. Like you know icky marketing hashtag icky marketing. <laughs> I'm going to start. A All trend. right. That, yes. And so that was a rant. And I, I probably ranted enough on this podcast. I'm going to do a, a very quick rave. And this is for anybody who's uh, actually published a book or is thinking about publishing a book. And this is I don't know if I've talked to you about this, Robert, but just really curious. So this is the first time. That, so, you know, you and I worked on managing content marketing, but we didn't do a, um, an audible audio version of it. No. And and I did Epic Content Marketing, you know, released that in September, and then the audiobook came out in I believe it was late November, early December. Hmm. So just from a timing standpoint, so you get that because I said, okay, I want to do an audio uh, audio version. Uh, spent about fourteen, fifteen hours in the studio, got it done. Uh, it was you know worked out fantastic, great, done and done. Do you b- believe? Listen to this. I've already made way over in royalties from the audio version than I than I have from the print and ebook sales, which I think oh, wow. are over ten thousand already. Wow. But still, just from a number standpoint, because I mean I can say this, you get about you get about fifteen percent on a print book, you get about twenty five percent on an ebook. The way that Audible works it, if you sign up with just them for distribution, you get seventy percent. So you wow. get seventy and 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 audiobooks aren't cheap. My audiobook sells for seventeen ninety five, uh, and this is why Amazon and of course there's all kinds of stuff going on with the Hachette stuff, and then something came out about Disney about them holding certain things back. So Amazon and I, by the way, I didn't know before I did this that Amazon owns Audible. Um, so anyways, going through that, I I have to tell you that if you're looking to actually 
because I'll tell most people, you know, if you're going to write a book, you're not going to make money. It should be it should be a marketing initiative, and that's why we talk to brands, and it should be a part of your marketing, and you should have secondary goals to drive other business based off the book. And the best business card you could ever have is by far a book. But that said, if you are looking to actually recoup some of your time that you've spent on that or actually look to monetize anything directly from the content, the way to do it is probably to sell the book and the ebook for as little as possible and then charge the regular rate for the audiobook and you'll probably make out Fantastic. just by the way it's set up. So I, I just had no idea. By the way, they're great with their reports. They send them on time. We get them. We look at them. So it's just it's odd. And the last thing that I'll say, and, and, I, and I love my, my publishers, McGraw-Hill. They do a great job. But what's really odd, Robert, so this is a little bit of insight that most people don't get. Uh, they, most publishers don't want the rights to the audiobook. They totally, they never even put it in the agreement. They, they just say, okay, you can, have, you can have the audio rights to it. I think that's huh. such a huge mistake. So basically, I got open rights to do whatever I want with the book, uh, with the audio copyright there, and I can do it, and I've done it. And I just don't understand why they don't. So if they knew what I know, like if I'm a publisher right now, if I'm Penguin or McGraw Hill or Wiley, I'm, I would change my contract, my agreements to take that over. And then those of you writers out there, boy, what an opportunity right now! So my rave is, is on Audible. It was just amazing stuff. Well, I just took a note for sure. You can bet <laughs> your bottom dollar. I just took a big note there. That's just and awesome. and by the way, just another just to let you know, it cost my time. And then about $5,000 to get it done in a studio, get everything produced, right? Which, which you know, is an investment for some people. Yeah, some sure. people don't have $5,000. Um, the first two months I made all that back, and now I'm all in profit mode. Wow, so, fantastic. And, and it's way surpassed anything now. It's just amazing. And I'm assuming that if it just stays on this current rate, it's it's going to be hilarious to look at the number of royalties that I'm getting from the from the print and the ebook versus the audio version. Unbelievable. Wow. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it is time for the namesake of the show, This Old Marketing. And I have This Old Marketing this week. And I am – this actually this actually may be my favorite This Old Marketing example Ooh, uh, of the ones we've done. It is just fantastic. So I was at this uh, event. Um, I was down working with the good folks at Dell um, here in Southern California, Dell Software. Um, and one of the guys there was telling me his grandfather had worked um, for the Southern Pacific Railroad. And he reminded me that there was a magazine and they had an entire content marketing approach. And I still, I, I didn't really know that very much. And so I went out and did a little research. And sure enough, so their sort of flagship was this magazine called uh, The Sunset Limited. Um, or Sunset Magazine, as it uh, subsequently became to be called. And it started in 1898 um, as a magazine published by the Southern Pacific Railroad. And its goal, its entire goal, was to try and combat the negative sort of Wild West stereotypes about California. So when it started, it was available, you know, you, when you got on the train from New Orleans to San Francisco, it was available on the train and it was available in New Orleans. Um, by the way, that route is still available through Amtrak. Um, and what it was trying to do was to try and encourage tourists who were coming west to stay. You know, so it talked a lot about how awesome it was to live in the Monterey area or how often it was, uh, great it was to live in Southern California or Northern California. And within a year of its launch, the magazine had more than 15,000 subscribers. 
And 10 years later, um, the magazine had more, uh, has printed more than 100,000 copies and had almost half a million readers every single month. And the, so, and the magazine then, okay, in 1914, so 14, basically almost 20 years after it had come out, the railroad ended up selling the magazine to its employees, and Sunset began to just publish like a regular magazine, and ultimately went on to become really the oldest magazine that covers the West, um, you know, and began to resemble a lot of the magazine's Saturday Evening Post and that sort of thing. And ultimately, Time Warner bought Sunset for some crazy number, like $200 million or something. Um, but going back to Southern Pacific, it wasn't the only content marketing approach they did. They had this entire program, pamphlets, magazines. They had an entire content marketing approach. I read where they actually created what they called, and I love this because think about this in context for what we're doing today. They created an entire department called their Literary Bureau where they had a complete branch. It was based out of the, what they called their passenger department. So in the 1880s, they had multiple publications here. They had one called The Wave, which was a journal meant to publicize all the new resorts in, the central, uh, um, uh, in central and northern California, like all the hotels and all that sort of thing. They also launched a European version of the magazine. They also launched a magazine covering the Southwest, based out of San Antonio, which covered like the East Coast and coming to Texas and that sort of thing. They launched physical events, for all these publications where they would go around and speak about the benefits of the West and how awesome it was to live there. Uh, they talked about the burgeoning movie business in Los Angeles and the weather and all of that stuff. And it was really basically Southern Pacific Railroad creating an entire publishing department, publishing these magazines, encouraging people to move out West. Why? Because it basically meant that those people would be going back and forth on the train. It would be creating more passengers for them on the railroad. So it's just a fantastic, it's a great fantastic example. example of this old marketing. That is a great, great example. I love the old ones. They're absolutely my favorite. We'll have to, yeah. and, and what's funny is we're, as we're collecting all these, we're going to have a really good ebook here pretty soon of <laughs> all these imagine. old ones. Oh, my gosh. That we're wow. talking about. All oh, right, there's, so, and there's so much great stuff. There's so much great stuff in the sunset stuff. There's like I was I was looking at all the old covers, and some of the some of the old images they had, and the pictures of the events. Oh, it's just a great, great, rich thing. Fantastic. There's a whole book on this. There's a whole book. I bought the book. There's a whole book on the Southern Pacific Railroad and what they've done from publishing. Oh, that's. Um, yeah. Can we link it's to something? The sunset Limited. Okay, so we can link to something. We've got something yeah. that we can link. Oh, that's absolutely. fantastic. So we'll put that absolutely. in the show notes. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, All right. I guess, uh, I guess you're, you're off busy to golf. This week. You're off to golf. I'm off to Cleveland. I won't see you though. So it'll be, uh, it'll be high from the air kind of thing. Well, you'll be, at least you'll be in my fair city. So we'll try to treat Absolutely. you well. And then uh, a reminder, we are uh, exactly four weeks, exactly four weeks, almost from this minute, Robert, you and I will be doing PNRs of the sold marketing from content that is marketing true. world. That's that right. That is true. And we've got a little special announcement that we'll make there, um, and uh, and I don't even know if I've told you about it. So <laughs> we're going to okay. talk. All right. We're going to talk about some good stuff there, and I think we're going to have some spe- special guests uh, at uh, and I and I believe it is at the Weston Hotel. I have to get the so those of you coming to town early, we'll make sure to let you know where the location is, of and we'll course, have a, a little fun at, at uh, on this old marketing. And I'll either be in a really great mood or a really bad mood because the Cowboys will have just finished playing. So I, I have yeah. a feeling that that both 
the Browns and the Cowboys will win that week. I have there you go. Really good, I love we'll it. both be I in a really it. good mood that day. I love it. All right. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And tweet us up, won't you? Hashtag this old marketing or hashtag icky marketing Toyota. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically, you know, come on over, right? You got a question, send an email. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 39, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.